Start out in Psalm 118 for you who want to find a spot to park. Hello, right there. Are you wanting to test or what? No. Good morning. We'll get started and we'll start in prayer as people continue to gather in. So who's got a prayer request? Okay. Ah, uh, your better half is missing. Well, we got to keep an eye on John today. <laughs> She's sick. Okay. She's not COVID. She does not have COVID. Tell her not to go get tested or she might, you know. <laughs> That's right. Anybody else have us pray for Letha? Anybody else? Yes. Um, yes, loss of a child. Oh, yeah, Stacy Simpson tore a muscle. Need to pray for her. Anybody else? Who has, yes. Okay, so we pray for them. Anybody else? Yes? Marriage? Okay. Who has a praise report? Anybody have a praise report? All right. Just kept on claiming what the word says. That's right. We faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's what that word substance, I think we get kind of confused on it sometimes. I believe one of the best translations is, and I think Watchman Nee is where I got this from. You know how you read a lot and you don't know where you got things? He said it's the substantiation. Substantiates things. In other words, it we have hope in the future, but it begins to substantiate the things that we... And you're seeing the substantiation. That's right. They don't know everything. That's right. That's, that's good. We need to remember that. We, we appreciate doctors, right? But that's right. I have, I'm, you know, people, my, often my, my kids want me to go to the doctor, my girls, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really go to the doctor. I don't, I, don't, I don't disagree with doctors. I just don't go because they always find something wrong because their livelihood depends on it, number one. I understand business. I do, and, and that's just it. I don't even know if they mean to, but they do, because that's a business. It's a business model. 
you know, when I went to Presby, we, Mike and I were going through there and we were visiting someone and, and I walked through the, the historical hall wing where they show how the building started. It was just this one little building there and it was congratulating themselves on how massive they had become and people were in the hall with me and, I look, and it, it had just exploded from this one building to another to another and it says, you know, Presby's history and there were people in the hall and I was looking and I said, this is a terrible hospital. I looked at Mike and people around and I said, look, I said, they haven't healed anybody. All they've done is manufacture more sickness. I think we're celebrating the wrong measures, aren't we? You know what I mean? We have our, we have our instruments to measure things and we celebrate. Look how many more sick people we have. I thought, well, let's get out of here. Hurry. <laughs> they need us in one of these rooms. Anyway, I'm just being funny, but I'm not. That's it. I have... There's my, we have Jehovah Rapha, right? He's a healer. And you know what? He takes my insurance and he, he doesn't leave a scar. He knows how to heal. So I believe in that. Oh, I'm not crying. My eyes water. It's not COVID. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We give you glory, honor, and praise, and we ask you to come into this house right now, Lord. We invite your presence, God. We need, Lord God, revelation. We need inspiration. We need, Lord God, to have our eyes anointed with eye salve that we may see. Lord God, we pray for healing upon those whose bodies are, are sick, Lord God. Though we know the outward man is often perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. I pray that by the the spirit that works within, that even on a molecular and cellular level, that bodies would begin to be restored. Lord, I pray that you would bring protection to us, Lord God, against any invading force that would try to come nigh our dwelling, Lord. We ask, Lord God, for, for healing and restoration, God. We ask for favor upon favor and blessing upon blessing today, Lord God, because we know that you are the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, Lord God, that all the silver is yours and all the gold is yours, God, and you are the Lord of hosts, God, and we declare that we are victorious today in all things that pertain to life and godliness, Lord God, and that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we claim your kingdom today, Lord God. Let your kingdom come forth in our midst and open our eyes, open our ears. Let our hearts beat with passion for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I winded. I gotta get rid of this man. Hang on. Or I'm gonna suck it down my windpipe. And y'all are going to have to do some sort of emergency procedure on me. Okay, we're going to go to Psalm 118. This is something I wrote a few days ago. Well, it's been a couple of weeks now. But I've been waiting to get to it. Now I want to read this psalm. It's a, it's a great psalm. Many of you will know it. You'll know parts of it because it's woven into songs all the time. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is what? Wow. Because his mercy endures forever. Okay, now we're going to do a little parallel there. Why are we giving thanks to him? Because he's good. And what is his goodness, according to the scripture, based upon? His mercy. And how long is his mercy? Wow, we have just, we have just, how I many, I want you to have a picture. That's the God you serve. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel say, 
Let's say, let, let Crossroads say, his mercy endures forever. Now we're going to do that together like they would have, okay? This is an interactive psalm. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let Crossroads say, his mercy endures forever. That's how you would do that. And then it says, let the house of Aaron say, and then the priest, can you imagine that? Let the house of Aaron say, endures forever. And we're basing his goodness on this, right? Let those who fear the Lord say, ah, that's good. I called upon the Lord from my distress. How many of you have ever been in distress? How many of you distress is a part of your daily almost sometimes? You feel like distress is just a part of your life. And you know what is the, if you take the, the, the first part off of that word, what is the word distress? Stress. See, you know, how many of you, I mean, anxiety, we have classified it as a medical illness. It's a mental illness and a disorder. And people will call it, they call it my depression and my anxiety. I mean, they say it all the time. I'm like, don't say that. Is it yours? Like it's your friend in your pocket? My stress, my anxiety, my depression, my cancer. I mean, I'm like, no, that's hell's. Give it back. So here we look. He says, I called upon the Lord from my stress or distress and the Lord answered me and he set me in an open place isn't that good think about that what would an open if you call upon the Lord and he set you in an open place then what did it look like when you were in distress what was it you were in a small place or perhaps you were surrounded by who the enemy how many of you sometimes that's what the enemy likes to do he likes to get you in a place that you feel surrounded and all you hear is his voice I've got you surrounded I've got you surrounded you're so stupid why'd you take this turn how'd you let yourself get here anybody ever heard these what what's wrong with you no one likes you. If people knew the choices you've made, they wouldn't even want to hang out with you. There's nobody as dumb as you. Anybody ever heard those? See, it's surrounded. You're surrounded in your stress. And how many of you feel like when you're in that situation, you got to start fighting something, you got to start doing something, you feel this overwhelming urge to do something to fix yourself? And then everything you try to do to fix yourself seems to bury you further and further into the problem. And then you feel like, and then you'll lay there for a while and moan and bellyache and whine and bawl and blame other people. And then you'll go, okay, wait, I got to shake myself. I'm going to get up. And you go round two with the enemy. And you start the whole process over and over and over and over again until finally you just give up and check out. And you just keep this process. But the Lord said, I called upon the Lord from my distress. And he answered me and set me in an open place. How hard was that for him? There was no warfare there. Nothing. Then it goes on to say, the Lord is on my 
side. I will not fear. What can people do to me? I love that. How many of you have ever struggled with a fear of man? I mean, just that's your, all you need to, I want you to memorize that one scripture. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can people do to me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can people do to me? See, we just remembered it. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What will people do to me? Say it with me. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can people do to me? You just memorized a scripture. So when you, how do you engage with that scripture? Well, whenever you have the opportunity to fear man, what you do is you say, nope, Psalm 118 and chapter 6 says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can people do to me? And you do the opposite of what fear is telling you. You don't wait for the fear to go away. You do the opposite. And then what you find out is that the voices were just threats. They were airy and light. And I promise you, I promise you with everything in me, you do that long enough and you do the opposite of what you fear. You press in against your fear. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? But it works every time. You press in against your fear and pretty soon fear will begin to diminish and then it will disappear entirely. Now, some of you say, I don't believe that. I don't believe, I've got coffee all over me. I don't believe that. I think that I'll always deal with a measure of fear. And you know what I say? No, you won't. Are you saying, Andrea, that you don't deal with any measure of fear? Feel? See? Fear? No. I'm saying that I engage like this all the time. And I see fear diminish more and more and more. And now, you know what I will tell you? That when I feel a sense of anxiety or fear, you know what it is always attached to? Stress. Always. And then I know there, I'm like, okay, I have to re-engage with the Lord and I have to remind myself who I am, how I am, where I am, why I am, and what I am. And I say, I will not fear. I will not fear because give, I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. When are you going to get to the end of God's mercy? When you, I will say it this way, you can legally fear I can legally fear when I have gotten to the end of God's mercy. That's the only place. If you try to legally fear and you're not to the end of God's mercy, then you are walking in unbelief. That's true for me and it's true for you. So I have to set myself back into the word of God. And it has to be my guide. This is not just a cool book. This is the very breath of my life. It is spirit breathed. It has its words, its ideas, its philosophies, its guidance has to be the guide for my life or I'm not living in victory. I'm just living in paralysis. Okay. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can people do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. 
there are so many people that think God wouldn't help them for nothing. They wouldn't, and I, I wonder sometimes how many times in your life have you thought God wouldn't help you? And this is where I turn the page here. How many times or what scenario is it that makes you question whether or not God will help you? When is it in your life that you think God won't help you? When you screwed up. It was my B, as my son-in-law always says. Oh, it's my B. My bad. How many of you? Mia culpa. Right here. Oh, I messed that one up. How many of you have ever messed up and you thought because it was your mess up, you were smart enough to know better, or you were just self, you were so selfish. Sometimes, how many of, let's just get real. You're just so stinking selfish and self-absorbed that you just did what you did and you got what you got. How many have ever been there? And as a result of that, and I feel like this is the one key ingredient to where the church does not live in victory. It's because they think there's an end to God's mercy. There's a caveat to God's mercy in our mind that says when we did the deed, we reached the end of God's mercy. It's not, but it is what our mind and our heart tells us. And as a result of that, what happens, you'll know you're doing that. You recoil from God's presence and you recoil from the people of God. You start isolating yourself, and all of a sudden it starts closing in more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And what we don't realize is we're giving the enemy the upper hand in our life because our, our thinking is not in line with truth. I mean, how many of y'all, besides me, you ever messed up and you thought God can't be merciful there because I knew better and I did wrong, right? Yes, John. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. God's mercy is always present. Absolutely. And I think many of us have, have profound instances like that. And we really do. And, and that is wonderful. And I think oftentimes we forget about those profound instances when we get in situations where it's maybe not so much a crisis as having a wreck or something like that, but it has more to do with just our daily with our relationships, with our choices, and we begin to isolate ourselves from the mercy of God. So today, I want to talk to you about a church that proclaims God's goodness. I think the world needs to know about God's goodness. 
and his goodness is hope, it's peace, it's rest, and it's mercy. And I want to be a church, an individual who rests in the mercy of God. That I'm not always trying to please a moody father who is prone to mood swings. Now, a lot of earthly fathers are that way, right? How many of you have had some earthly fathers that were prone to mood swings? You never knew what kind of, you know, you had to tiptoe around them. And see, our earthly relationships, often we, we put, we put the, um, those labels on God. And so we, we see a father, or we see an authority figure, and they're prone. You had to just satisfy them. And you didn't want to get outside of, of, their, of their temperament because if their temperament was wrong, you would be the subject to the hot temper. And so many times we're that way with God and we, we try to hide our deeds from him and we try to hide our, our mistakes and, and we get in these places of isolation and we listen to the enemy's lie. This is a false idea that I cannot receive healing and or restoration from the things I deserve. I'm going to say that again. This is a false idea in the church. Is that I cannot receive healing and or restoration from the things I know I deserve. Absolutely. Yes, I know. I know all that. I mean, that's, I think that's, well, I think that's the knowledge we know. But somehow that knowledge does not impact our hearts because we still walk around shrouded in isolation and fear, and we're afraid to receive of God's mercy oftentimes. It's not, unless our mind is governed by the uh, regenerated spirit. And see, our mind knows how to traffic in areas that are worldly and carnal and corrupt. And if the mind is supposed to be the servant to the spirit, our spirit born again, engaged and inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and our mind is supposed to be the servant to our born-again spirit, right? Well, there you go. And you have to come against the false lies and notions in your own life and say, where am I not living this? You have to engage. See, we all thought the combat was we're all out there, you know, rebuking devils out of people. That's really easy, y'all. That's getting the devil out of someone else is not near as hard as getting the devil out of yourself. I'm not talking about being possessed. I'm talking about there's some devil in our thinking, right? And we're a whole lot better at identifying devils in other people than we are in ourselves. Jesus put it like this about picking specks when you have the beam. You know, we're real good at that. We'll, we take our pet things and we cover them up because we hold them. They're dear to us. And we can find other people's issues. I want to stand before the mirror of God's word, and I want him to deal with me before I deal with you. I want him to judge me. I want him to, to isolate the areas of my personality that are not pleasing to him. I don't want, there is this whole new, and it's been in the church for about 20 years, maybe 25, about, and it's just exploded. And it, it has been personality profiles. It started with, you know, choleric, sanguine, melancholy. You know, I'm talking about phlegmatic. 
It started probably about 25 years ago is the first time I heard it. And it was cool. It's kind of fun. You know, it's kind of fun to go, ooh, I'm this and you're that. And then we, we put animals to it, lions and otters and beavers and golden retrievers. And, and then we took, we, I spit, we put, um, we took Winnie the Pooh and we had the different characters of, you know, in this whatever, 100 acre forest or whatever it's called. I don't even know. And we did that for a while. And then we got way more sophisticated. And what's it called? The Enneagram? Enneagram? Is that right? We did that, and then you have, we, then I did one one time, it has colors, you're a gold, you're a blue, you're, you know, and no matter what personality test I take, I wind up the exact same person every single time. You know what I mean? It's just like, but you know what? This is what happened. We became obsessed with ourselves. I'm this, therefore I can't. I'm this, therefore I don't. I'm this, therefore I won't. Yeah, we just, we just use this and we, we step in the center as superior. You see how that moved us there? Instead of saying, do you realize that when the Lord said to Jeremiah, he said, I want to teach you a little lesson, Jeremiah. And it's going to involve you going down to the potter's house. And so Jeremiah got out of his house and I can just see him walking down the, the, the red clay trail. Birds are singing, locusts, the cicada are humming, and here's Jeremiah, and he gets to the potter's house, and he, he didn't even knock on the potter's door. He said, just, he just looks in the window, or maybe he stands at the door. He doesn't have a conversation with the potter. He's watching the potter build the vessel. And so Jeremiah's been doing a lot of complaining to God about his call. He told him, I don't have the right personality. I don't, I, I'm not the right age. I'm not the right person. I don't have the skill set. So he said, I'm going to take you, and I'm going I'm to teach you about you, Jeremiah, but I'm going to explode it out, and I'm going to move so beyond you because, you know, you're as important as you are to me, Jeremiah. You're not the most important piece. He said, I'm going to talk to you about the whole house of Israel. See, I'm going to use the potter's hands on the clay. And I'm going to talk about how I can shape you. If you're a choleric and I want to make you a sanguine, I'll make you a sanguine. If you're, a, you're an eight on the Enneagram and I want you to be a two, and that'll be my business, won't it? I'll make you in two. He said, he said see, that's the whole house of Israel. It's corrupt. I don't like what I see, so I'm going to make it again into another vessel. Now, see, I love that because I'm not saying that your personality is not important, but we put a little bit too much emphasis on who we are instead of on who God is and how he can work in us and through us to make us whatever he needs to make us. If you have a hot temper, God can get that out of you. Yes. That is good. We take ourselves way too seriously, and we don't take God serious enough. I want to believe in a God who is so full of mercy that he can take my screw-ups, my mistakes. He can take the things that I know I deserve, and he can put them in the center of his 
Wheel, W-I-L-L-W-H-E-E-L. We're going to use that. We're going to do a little play on words. And I can align my will with his will. And he can make me into another vessel if need be. How many of you would be okay if God took you as a preacher and made you a nursery worker? Say, <laughs> that's right. No way. But what if God could get you to the place where you were okay with that? No way. You say, no. yes, Randall, you would? What if, what if God could so create in you a different heart? He could so sculpt you under his hands of, of grace and mercy, and he could measure you out in a way that glorified him. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful if God just used us how he wanted to? I want to come against the false ideal this morning that I cannot receive healing for, or restoration for the things I deserve. That is not true. Here's what we believe. When I did what I did, I got what I got. Now, and we, we've got scripture for that. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. I'm not talking about some sort of a grace that is poured out that takes sin and somehow magically transforms it into something else. Absolutely. That's all. See, what we couldn't ever get to with Jesus... I read the Gospels for years and couldn't get there until more recently, which I'm, I'm ashamed to say, but somehow my religious programming just always came to the forefront. And where Jesus said things like, I didn't come for the, I didn't come for the whole, I came for the sick. I didn't come for, you know, he told the Pharisees, he said, I didn't come for those who have no need, I came for those who have need. And, and like, it took me a long time to get to the obvious. We're all sick. The Pharisees were sick. We are all sick. Blessed are the poor. That word poor there means bankrupt. Absolutely, fundamentally living in poverty and unable to care for yourself. How, is, how, are, they, how are they blessed? Is this just some sort of creative speaking that you're doing, Jesus? Because I don't really get it. Because I would read that and go, yeah, and I have, yeah, that's, that's sweet, Jesus. That's real. I, I thought, he's just a cool philosopher. Because I didn't want to be poor. I know I'm talking to people who have read that and thought the same thing. And then one day I realized, oh, I am. I am utterly and totally and thoroughly spiritually bankrupt. And it's when I realize that, then the opportunity for blessing, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit, is that what it is? The kingdom of God. I thought somehow that I could retain self and still get into the kingdom. Many of us have this idea, and then I realize that the Lord never came to me because he liked my skill set, as wonderful as it is. 
I told Mike last night, there are few people as good as at many things as I am. I'm not even joking. <laughs> no, see, you think that. This is after I've, I've cooked what? I cooked Thai food, right? I mean, I'm, I'm at three dishes Thai food. I made a homemade cake for Hannah's birthday. I mean, you walk out back, and I love my garden. I'm not bragging on myself at all, <laughs> kind of. And then I'm in there. I have to. I'd, Hannah paid $400 to have her hair done. Yeah, because that's what it costs in Dallas to have your hair done. She came to me and said, Mom, you got to fix my hair. It was that bad. So I spent two hours and $5 later. She had hair she liked. Well, Jacob wouldn't be outdone, so he has blonde hair this morning. Soon to be green. I cut his hair. And now Mike is in there going, oh, she spent a whole lot of hours on hair today. I sure hope. And I said, Mike, get in here if you want your hair cut. I mean, he, I've never seen him get off of that couch so fast in his life, did you? <laughs> you know, and I think, I think, God, you know what? I said for years, Lord, I'm a catch. I'm just kidding, y'all. I'm being facetious, but I'm not. See, what I'm saying is, is no matter how talented I may be or no matter how talented you may be, it doesn't matter if you've got awards piled up to your head. You are so corrupt and spiritually bankrupt and dead and in your trespasses and sin and not worth heaven and you couldn't get in. You don't have a key in your rep repertoire to get into the kingdom of God. And so it was just mercy the whole time. It was just because his mercy, and he was so merciful, he did not look at my resume. He laughed when I gave him my resume. He, he laughed. You know, it's like a child giving you monopoly money to pay the rent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, every year we gave our kids money to buy us presents. You still do You know why? Because our kids wanted to be involved in giving. It wasn't fun unless the kids could give back and the kids wanted to. So every year we gave to them money and then they got to go out and go shopping and buy presents for each other and for their mom and dad. They earn, I don't make them earn everything. My kids are so spoiled, Belinda. They are so spoiled. And you know what? I have somehow instilled into them a good work ethic. You know what? You know why my kids are so great? Because I love them so ferociously. And you know why I turned out so good? Is because my God loves me so ferociously. And I finally realized that. It's because of how loved I am that he didn't bother to read my resume nor to stomp me into oblivion because I tried to present one. Because give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. And we are portraying and maybe we're espousing a picture of a God who is not merciful and he is not good and therefore he is not worthy of thanksgiving. You can't find people to be thankful unto a God who they don't feel his mercy and his goodness toward.
But when you finally get to the place where you know he was good when you deserve bad. How many I got people in here like that? He's good when you deserve bad. He was there when you didn't deserve it. When you had a wreck because you were drunk on the side of the road, he still sent an angel. I don't know if you were drunk, but I know other people that were. He is still good. He's still good. He is the best thing we got going on this earth. And he's not mad at his kids. Now, he will discipline us only because he ferociously loves us. And he will be good to us because he is good. See, I mean, it's just the way God is. He's not trying to fix you up so he'll be proud of you. He's already proud of you. Isn't that good? If I could just get people to realize... Yes, there is sowing and reaping, but you know what? He'll be in the midst of you in that, in that crop that you have to reap. He'll still be good and merciful. You'll stand right in that crop of junk you know you sowed yourself, and he'll say, come on, we can get this done. I'm going to give you some new seeds, and I'm going to teach you how to sow new stuff, and I'm going to, you know what his judgments are aimed at? We have missed it. We think God's judgments are aimed at us. They are aimed at everything that interferes with his love. Let me just say that again. His judgments are aimed at anything in your life that interferes with his love. Name some things that interfere with his love. Fear. So he'll put you in situations to give you the opportunity to face your fear. We didn't know that was his mercy. He's not going to let you fall. What else is aimed at his? What else? What else is, is combats his love? What other enemies combat his love in your life? Fear's one. Doubt, anger, anxiety, stress, self-hatred. He won't tolerate it. I wouldn't tolerate it in my kids. And I'd use whatever means necessary. If my kids were making boneheaded decisions and they have, you know what I'll do at first? I will tell, I want my kids to make their bed and clean their room. I do. I'm just like all the rest of the parents in the world. But somewhere along the way I learned that it wasn't a big deal. So you know what I do? I mean, my son works 40 hours a week in 100-degree weather. He didn't make his bed. You know what I do on a Wednesday? I don't stomp him. And not, you know, and make a big explosive show that doesn't convey my father's love toward him. I want to represent God to that child. You know what I'll do? I make that bread for him. I clean his, I wash his clothes and fold them and put them on his bed and clean out from under his bed and, and dust. And I'm happy to do it. You know why? Because I love him. We will compass land and sea to do anything for our children. I will still do it till I can't, till I feel like I can't do it anymore. If you don't like it, don't parent like me. You got your own choices. That's what I'm saying. And I, I love my kids. And I, I believe, this is what I believe. I believe the love of God is more powerful in the life of an individual than is the fear or of the judgment of God. Because I believe everybody out there knows they deserve to be judged. And they're just trying to find a way to soothe 
their brokenness through drugs, through alcohol, through illicit relationships. And when they find someone who will love them regardless, I believe that it will bring people back in. I'm not saying that you continue to support people's bad habits and you enable them. I'm not saying those things, but there's a place. I wish that in the front end we love people back in so we didn't have to discipline them in the back end. You know what I'm saying? We try to discipline them into love. And they run away. And we can't believe it. But you know what it is? It's our own abnormal view of the Father. That we have created him to be something he is not. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, I think that is. And mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're exactly right. And I, the Lord's done that with me before. Specific instructions. And tell me what to do. Uh-huh. Right. You're exactly right. It has to come from a pure heart. It's just, how did the Lord treat us when we didn't deserve it? And that, you know what I'm saying? That's all. Yes, Tamara. Well, I think that that would be a different conversation. I think it would be. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't be. I mean, I'm thinking it would be a different conversation, but there would be a time. There would be a time that I would love them into that. And I've done it. I would do it. I would continue to do that because it's not about me. See, that's what she's saying. It's not about me. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. That's it, good. Say that again. I'm going to say it. Oh, his mercy has nothing. That's so good. That's so good. His mercy has nothing to do with my merit. If we could all say that together. His mercy has nothing to do with my merit. Again, his mercy has nothing to do with my merit. Ah. If we could just get that down deep in our soul, what that does then is we begin to serve people from that pure-hearted place, and we start to reflect. That's what reflecting his glory is. You thought it was sparkling and raising the dead. That's reflecting his glory is when you begin to act like him when you shouldn't. That's, that's what we're talking about. So his mercy, I just want to get, if I could just get this one message in, Lord, and this our heart would be open, this would, this would change everything. It would change everything. It's the first domino of many. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Okay, here we go. Y'all ready for a mind-blowing thing? 
the tabernacle, the temple, outer court, inner court, holies of holies. Where is the only place that the Lord will meet you, the only resting place in the tabernacle? What's it called? See, some people already got it. The only place that the Lord will meet with you is at his mercy. It's the only resting place in the tabernacle is in his mercy. Many of us can't find rest because we don't know how to come to the Lord in mercy. That's the only place. Where are you going to sit down in the tabernacle? You're going to be working out here and the sacrifices out here. You're going to be, you're going to be lighting, baking bread in that inner place and lighting candles and running back and forth and stoking. We need some wood. Come on, losers. Keep this fire going. I mean, we're stoking wood. Oh, that wood is, that wood's crap. Did you know they couldn't even put worm-eaten wood on the fire? If the wood for the fire had any imperfection, there was a whole set of priests who had to sort the wood. It couldn't even be burned for God. It couldn't even be turned to ash for him if it had any imperfection in it. And you think you're going to do something to earn his mercy? All the work out here was just to tell the story. There ain't, you, you ain't ever been pretty enough to get God's mercy. You ain't ever been talented enough. You ain't never, never, never going to do anything good enough to get God's mercy. There's only one way you can get his mercy. It is once a year. He showed us on the Day of Atonement that perfect lamb would be sacrificed. And you could go in there and that priest would sprinkle that blood on that mercy seat. All foreshadowing a day when Christ would utter, it is finished. And that veil that separated us from God's mercy and God's mercy from us because of our wretchedness. You're wretched without God's mercy. Don't think your kids are going to be any better than you. They came from you. Wretched. And that veil opened up. And because of his sacrifice, God's mercy enveloped me. And he knocked on my door when I was 11 years old and did not deserve him as he has many of you. And he wrapped me in his mercy and in his love. And no matter how stupid I was, he continued to pursue me. And that is the God I want to convey. Because that's who he is. And any other version of him is a distorted, grotesque aberration of who he is. Does that make sense? All oh, the world needs mercy. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. And what do we find in Jesus? What was in the mercy seat, y'all? Mercy seat. Nope. I'm, I'm talking literal now. Think back. Tabernacle. The chest called the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant. The top made up the mercy seat. What was in that? Anybody know? Aaron's rod that budded. You know what you'll find in Jesus? Your call and purpose. And you'll be fruitful in it. What else was in there? The law. You know what you'll find in Jesus? The ability to do good before God. What else was in there? 
One more thing. What else is in there? Manna. You will find the provision of God. All of those things are in his mercy. Jesus is his mercy. God so loved the world. We could just say, God so mercyed the world. He wouldn't do any violence to that scripture at all. God so mercyed the world that he sent his only begotten mercy seat. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in God's unfailing love and mercy would not perish but have everlasting life. They would have calling and fruitfulness. They would have provision in the manna and they would have the enablement to live a life that pleases God working inside I don't have to tell a person who has God in them how to dress I don't and for that reason people come in and get saved I don't tell them how to dress I see how they dress you see what I'm saying there's a difference we have been p- cleaning up pigs for so long. If you change the nature of a pig, you won't have to worry about them. Let them, let them live that life out from the inside out. We are so obsessed with doing, we don't know that our doing has to start with becoming. We become to all who received him. How many received him? To all who believed his name. Who believed his name? To him, what he give? John 1, 12. The power to become what? The sons of God. I am inherited. I have, I'm an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. When he looks at me, he says, well done, well done. That's all I'm going to be able to stand in in that day. Why do you think people are going to say, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we, didn't we? He's not looking for people to read their resume. They don't even get it. He's looking for people to go, oh, God, it's your mercy. Jesus, you're the mercy seat. I just rest in you. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you learn of me for I am meek and lowly and you will find rest for your souls you don't have rest on one day and not on the other you stay there what do you tell Martha Martha thou art cumbered about many things Mary has chosen that better part how many things did Mary this one thing is needful Could you imagine your to-do list, folks, if you just had one thing? That's all you need is one thing. You just need one thing. Seek first. It's just one thing. All you need is one thing. You're not going to hard work university, but you know what will happen when you understand this? You'll become the hardest worker in the house of God. But it won't be because you're trying to earn something. You'll just start being what you've been. I mean, you'll just start doing what you have become. Because there is a work to do. But the work flows from the workmanship. He worked it in you. If it's not worked in you, everything that works out of you is junk. we got to rest in him. If we understood how complete we are in him and how much he loves us. This, I did the crime, I must do the time. And I know when people feel that because they want everybody else to live it too. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just talking about when, when you live under, I've been there. No, when you live under that, you've got to do better to be better. How many know what I'm talking about? 
How many, and what does that culture feel like to you? You feel it. You feel this constant sense of oppression to perform in order to be lovable. Perform in order to be likable. That's not God's mercy. That's more of the John 10, anybody who comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. That's trying to get in through something other than Christ's mercy, through the mercy seat. So I'm just, I want you to understand that you don't deserve, I'm not saying that there's some, go sin it up because you can live it up. That's, if you're hearing that, then you've heard the wrong thing. You've heard it all wrong here first. Because I'm talking about a grace that so changes your personality and your performance that you can't say nothing but look what the Lord has done. I'm so changed I don't even recognize myself anymore. I don't even dare to presume what my personality is, what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, or what he might be calling me to do. Because who knows? I asked Lainey one time, I said, Lainey, you think you could do children's church? Years ago, she went, I love the answer. She said, you know, Mom, I don't know what I'm capable of. I wish everybody would say that when we ask them to do something. You know, I don't know what I'm capable of. Might be. I know a missionary by the name of Mike James. He went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I want to do anything in the house of God. I just want to serve anywhere I can. Where do you need me? And he said the dreaded words, children's ministry. Mike James went, ooh. He said, he said, I would have wiggled out of it somehow. He said, that was not what I felt like I was called to do. I have much better things in mind. He said, but I didn't want to, you know, be that guy. So I just went in and went to children's church. Mike James is a missionary to the Netherlands, and he does children's ministry. He has been in children's ministry ever since. Was he called to children's ministry from the beginning? I don't know. Maybe God had a shortage of people who are willing to try. He said, I'll just make you into that. Mike always says that. He's a preacher because God couldn't find anybody else to obey. So he just made me into it. See, we, we need to understand God's mercy is big enough for us. <sighs> for the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan works through a spirit of religion as a thief. You can't have that. You know you're disqualified. There's no such thing as disqualified by the mercy of God. We live in his resting place. And I just, I just want to encourage you today as we close. You have not done anything so bad that God can't forgive you and can't restore you. And what I feel like most of the time that people who are merciless to others, this is, this is real talk right here. Most of the time when we're merciless to others, it's because we don't have a revelation of God's mercy to us. So I don't, I'm not trying to start with you on the performance side. You get what I'm saying? I'm not trying to say, you need to be more merciful to people. It doesn't work that way, does it? See, when you get a revelation of God's mercy to you, uh, out of your belly will flow rivers of, you think that mercy's in that river of living water? I think it absolutely, and a whole lot of other good stuff. And no wonder, no wonder the person who gets planted in that, their leaves, the outward manifestation of their life become healing to nations. 
I want that. And I'm willing to allow God to judge anything in my life that interferes with his love. Because I'm not worried about the judgment of God coming on America. I'm not buying bullets and beans. I mean, I have some bullets. We have guns because guns are worthless without bullets. Unless they're, they're about as good as a paperweight. Right? So if you have a gun, you should have a bullet for it if you plan on having a gun because a gun without a bullet is worthless. But I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, military-grade stockpiling. Because you know what? Even in that, I'm just going to talk to you right now about the world we live in. Even in that, you're going to run out of your last bullet. How many people are you going to kill? You're going to run out of your last bullet, and you're going to run out of your last bean. And then you're going to want to know what I have to say. Because I'm not worried about God's judgment on the world. I'm not worried about God's judgment on me. Because I'm not subject to God. God's judgment, it depends on where you're standing. If you're an enemy of God, if I was an inhabitant of the promised land, living in Jericho on the day that they're marching around the city, you know what I am? I'm the aim of God's judgment. And if I'm the one marching around the city, I am the instrument of God's judgment. And let's see where you're saying, Andrew, that didn't sound very merciful. There was one woman who shows us how God works. She said, I believe in God. And what did God's mercy do? She exhibited faith. I believe this. You can contradict me all you want to. When you preach it, you can preach it however you want to. I believe that if, if she could have packed everybody in her house and everybody would have said, Rahab, I want the deal you got because I believe in him too, that there wouldn't have been one dead person in Jericho. They would have all marched out under the covenant of God's mercy and been absorbed into Israel. Do you think God just wanted the blood there? How long was God merciful with the inhabitants of Jericho? Do you know? You find out in Abraham. He walked through the city. He walked through the promised land. And what did, what did God tell you? He said, Abraham, you're not, we're not doing anything yet because they haven't had enough time. Oh, gosh, y'all, if we knew how merciful God was, we wouldn't want to be seeing people die. We'd say, God, run to his mercy. Run to his mercy. You'll find rest there. You'll find provision. You'll find everything you need. Run to his mercy. He's so merciful. He lo- I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyway, and now he's changed me by his mercy. Stop trying to earn what you can't earn. You don't have the, you don't have the, the, the currency here. That's my prayer is, God, reveal your mercy. And when we go into the sanctuary today, why do we give thanks? We give thanks to the, oh, I like it. The, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good because his mercy endures forever. Let the church say his mercy endures forever. Let the priest say his mercy endures forever. Let the whole congregation say his mercy endures forever. That's where we live. Thank you.